This episode of The Tome is brought to you by listeners like you. Thanks for using The Tome's Amazon and DMs Guild affiliate links, and for becoming patrons at patreon.com slash thetomeshow. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interviews show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm Tracy Hurley, and in this episode, number 344, we're going to find our own way and make it up ourselves as we discuss homebrewing. Breaking our isolation in this episode are two great members of the gaming community. You've seen her on Dungeon Drunks, Monthly Modules, Heroes Graveyard, uh, and hanging out on a bunch of places in D&D Beyond. It's Lauren Urban! Oh, hi! That's me! <laughs> and if I missed anything on the list, uh, it's only because you don't have it listed on your website, because that's where I pulled that from. <laughs> oh, geez, my website is so old. See? Yeah, yeah. Go to, yeah, go to my Twitter. So right now, the, the, the I'll, I'll give the quick update. Uh, so for the regular show, I'm on Silver and Steel, which is the live show that D&D Beyond produces every week. Uh, that's a continuation of several of the other shows, Beyond Heroes and Heroes of the Veil. So I got the same character kind of going on through. Um, that's the main place. I am still the DM for Dungeon Drunks. And then you can just find me on some of the other D&D Beyond shows showing up here, there and everywhere. There you go. Uh, and also, having just returned from his latest excursions into the wild, it's our monstrous ecologist from the basics of the game, the unrivaled master of D&D TikTok, it's Jeremiah McCoy. Uh, greetings and salutations. Um, not exactly the master of D&D the TikTok. The master of D&D TikTok. The, the, Teach me your ways. The arch wizard of D&D TikTok. That I might say. Okay. I, I, I can be. I can be. I can be the elderly mentor. Of <laughs> the, the 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 you're the Gandalf of the D and D TikTok Fellowship. Yes. Okay. That I'll accept. Okay. That one I'll accept. <laughs> and uh, we'd like to take a moment just to remind folks uh, that if you want to see the home recordings live and unedited. Uh, perhaps see how my basement looks today or <laughs> uh, what cool t-shirts we're wearing and whatnot. Yeah, you can watch us record at twitch.tv slash tomeshow or later on on YouTube. And you can be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Discord. Uh, so now it's on to our discussion. This is a discussion that came from a tweet that Lauren made about a month or so ago. Um, you had mentioned, Lauren, how much you like doing stuff like this because it was giving you life in these times of isolation. Uh, so I s- said, hey, if you're enjoying having these kinds of conversations, we should have you back on and have some of these kinds of conversations uh, and, and give each other life. Uh, and so we started trying to plan it, but you were super busy last month. And so we pushed it to this month uh, in October. And I said, okay, great. What do you want to talk about? And you're like, I've been doing a bunch of homebrew stuff lately, and and so here we are. Um, So I guess the point is, for everybody watching and listening, when you discover that this episode is like the best thing that we've ever put out, it's completely Lauren's uh, doing that, that we've done so well. Well, hopefully it is something that people enjoy. And when it when it is not, uh, and you can you can just blame me. It's if it, totally if, my if fault. If it's not the best thing ever, it's because I took your wonderful idea and ruined it. <laughs> no, that's not how this works. Nope. I, I came up with, if, if you're going to put the, the credit <laughs> on me, you're going to put the blame on me too. <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to accept that. I am a DM. I know how that works. <laughs> Look, uh, the, the the buck stops with me. I'll take it. It's fine. <laughs> so. 
<laughs> yes, uh, uh, Tracy's husband says that I ruin good things. That is absolutely a- 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 acceptable and accurate. Aww. So. <laughs> All right, so we're talking about homebrewing things, uh, and I don't, I don't know. We've been doing this show a long time. I am certain at some point in the past, if you look through our archives, we've probably talked about homebrewing things before. It feels like a thing we've talked about, um, but I don't remember who with, and it wasn't with this crew, and it's been a while. So I think it's time to have that conversation again. I think that's worth doing uh, for anybody who. Um, who may be new to the community or just not familiar with the term, who wants to tell us what we mean when we use the term homebrew? Are we doing this? Is the Webster's Dictionary defines homebrew. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I don't know if there's a specific uh, definition for it, but I'll give it a crack. I think it's any unofficial content that you come up with yourself. That's fair. Uh, I, I think, uh, um, for some people that can, it can sound like a scary term for like people who are new to D and D like homebrew. Oh, I, you know, I don't know how to do that. Well, it's, it's really, you don't have to worry about it. Homebrew is the step below, like trying to get published stuff in some ways. It's also a test bed for stuff that you might turn into a published thing, but as long as it's fun for you and your friends, whatever you come up with is is fine and that's homebrew yeah see in my mind like i like to differentiate uh if i'm homebrewing something it it, it's not because it has anything to do with any desire to ever publish anything right homebrew is a whole separate thing if i'm if i'm testing stuff out because maybe i want to publish it someday that's play testing that's not homebrewing you know oh interesting see now i don't distinguish between the two i feel like anything that i have come up with that is, even if I end up publishing it in some way, putting it out into mm-hmm. the universe for other people to use as they will, whether mm-hmm. it's uh, paid or unpaid, that's my homebrew. It might be someone else's content that they've right. purchased or downloaded or checked out. Um, but if I've made it available to other people to just try out and use, then I still feel like that's my own homebrew. I've come up with it myself and it's not official content but you you do a distinction well and and it's more it's more so a distinction of intention uh because if i'm if i'm it's a matter if if i'm trying to put something together that maybe i want i want other people to to see and, and enjoy and whatever then then there is in my mind i go through a very different process if i'm just homebrewing for my own game than if i'm creating something for others consumption Um, you know, for example, if I'm homebrewing for my own game, I don't really care about balance very much, uh, because it's not important to me. I just want to be able to tell the story I want to tell. And that's, what's important for my campaign, right? If I break the world and, and make the game unbalanced, then that's my problem and I can deal with it, but I don't want to break other people's games, you know? So if it's for others consumption, I don't want to do that. That's true. So do you ever take your own homebrew and then balance it and publish it? Or are you always well, creating something with with a different intention? It's worth noting that I can I create very little with the intention, other than this podcast. I create very little with the intention of sharing with others. Uh, so most of what I'm creating is homebrew, um, and so I don't usually in those instances. I don't most of the time. I don't care about you know balance and that kind of stuff. Now, certainly one could homebrew something 
find that they like it, be inspired by it, and then go on to to test it and tweak it and and make it publishable. Um, you know, as as Fred is pointing out in the in the chat, um, what is the Forgotten Realms except Ed Greenwood's original homebrew setting, right? <laughs> you know, so absolutely. Uh, I could so, go further. D and D is a homebrew of Chainmail. Sure. It is. They took a an existing war game and went. Let's tack on some bits. Right. So yeah. So uh, and, and none of that's. I don't know that any of this conversation, while interesting, is is really the point, uh, right? But but it's uh, but it's an interesting sort of. Um, it's it, it impacts my mentality when I'm thinking about homebrewing something. Um, so I I think you whether or not. Whatever you think your uh, definition of homebrew is, and it's certainly flexible and malleable, I like that you brought up the idea of intentionality because I think, you know, we we obviously disagree a little bit on that, but I don't think either are wrong. And I think that's an interesting thing to think about is um, what is your intention in creating this? Is it I'm only creating this for my home campaign. And so if it's wacky and off the wall and not balanced at all, that's fine. Are you creating something because you're inspired to create it and then you're just going to put it out into the world? Are you crafting something that you are then going to play test? Uh, is, are you doing one thing and it ends up being another? You know, mm-hmm. it's, I, I think homebrew encompasses all of those things all in one. And it is, it is kind of a catch all term, but it is, it's the thing that happens when someone says, oh, are you playing a published mob module or are you doing a homebrew? Right. Well, and I think, I think that, that brings up really the point, right? Uh, whether we call it homebrew or not, isn't really, that, that's just semantics. The, the yeah. point that you make is uh, approach it with intentionality. Know what, know what you're doing it for. I, I, I tend to do all of the above at different points. Mm. Like I've, I've gotten stuff published and, and I will publish stuff again. And sometimes I approach what I'm writing from a standpoint of, well, this is intended to be published. Somebody asked for a thing. I made a thing. Here it goes. Uh, and sometimes it's just, here's an idea. I'm not sure if I'm going to use it myself anytime soon. I'll toss, toss it up on my website, see if anybody likes it. And, you know, I'll try and keep it balanced because I expect other people to use it. And then sometimes it's, I need something right now. I'm running a game that did something sideways. I need to come up with a solution. All right, here we go. <laughs> yeah. That'll be you, Tracy. I was going to say it's probably a little easier to talk about what homebrew isn't than to talk about what it is mm. because there's all these different uh, options and like some of us do like to, to write and publish stuff. So we probably uh, want to, re- or think of including things that maybe folks who are just starting out would never, w- wouldn't necessarily jump to right away. Like whether or not we're ever going to publish it, like uh, probably not the first thing some folks are, are, are thinking about in that situation. Um, but yeah, the fact that, it sounds like what we're really saying is pretty much anything that's not an off-the-shelf published module that somebody has created could be considered homebrew, at least to some degree. Yeah, I mean, I I would argue that every DM homebrews something, right? <laughs> uh, you know, uh, we you there's been data. Uh, I know Mike Shea and 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 I think possibly Watsi as well has gathered data on like the settings that people play and the most popular setting is homebrew 
right? Mm -hmm. no, no published setting uh, gets a majority, but homebrew does, right? Uh, so, so when you're creating your own setting, that's homebrew. When you're creating your own adventures, that's homebrew. Maybe you're you just need to to make your own magic item or design your own encounter or whatever. Like the game is made to to give you the tools to make your own stuff, and all of that is homebrew. And I think one thing too that kind of falls out from that. That's a, that at least as I was always been kind of important to me is the understanding of like when you start creating those things, even if it's little things like creating your own magic item or adding a new area in town or NBCs or something, and you're you're creating that stuff and you're going beyond what's published. That's also a great way to start expanding out what's available in our community. Um, and so, you know, because I know I hear a lot of people who are like, I, I can never figure out how to get published or anything like that. And it's just like share the stuff you're creating and know that that creation itself, whether or not anyone buys it, is just as important as the stuff like third parties or, or even uh, official stuff that's coming out. Right. And and, we, and we've talked a lot about sort of homebrewing and the connection to publishing and that kind of stuff. And all of that is absolutely true and worth bearing in mind. But, but I also think it's worth bearing in mind that like 90 Eight percent. I'm making the number up, but ninety-eight percent of of homebrewed material is done so with zero intention of ever publishing anything. It's just something that somebody put together for their game, uh, and I think that's arguably more important than the preparing to publish stuff because that's what's going to make your story sing. Absolutely, yeah. And then if you put it up later, if you put it out there for fun, um, if if you're like, well, this is a cool thing I created, let me get some feedback on it because I would like to get better at homebrewing. Even if you never go down the path of, you know, whatever you consider publishing, whether it's DMs Guild or your own website or Drive Through RPG or whatever, um, just going through that process to get feedback to make yourself better for the next thing you create for your home campaign that is homebrew. Um, I, I think that's just as good. And it's one of the things, one of the reasons when you asked me, what do you want to talk about? I came up with homebrews because a lot of what we've been doing on D and D beyond is doing a lot of educating people on how to use our homebrew tools mm -hmm. because they are really powerful, but they can sometimes be a little difficult mm -hmm. because you have a lot of options and it's, but it's also exciting to be able to put something together that mechanically works with your character sheet right there. Give it a try, see what modifiers it takes, see what you know differences it makes, um, and 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 then be able to put it out for um, for the rest of the audience if you want to publish it there. Uh, I've been just having a lot of fun doing that with with a bunch of stuff, just mm -hmm. putting it up on on my site. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's a kind of fun to do that without the intention of well I'm, I'm not trying to make any money off of this I'm not trying to promote it I just want some feedback I just want to see if uh, hey does anybody else think this is fun and cool does anyone else think this is balanced mm -hmm. uh, here you go have some fun yeah no and and I I think there's a degree to which like it's a fun thing to do to contribute to the community as well I've used I've used the the homebrew section of D and D Beyond quite a bit. Um, I'm running Curse of Strahd, but like my players are a little bit higher level and they're just now starting to get to like the werewolf den. It's like it's not challenging to throw them up against a bunch of what are werewolves, CR5 or whatever, and they're level 10. And like that's yeah. th what's the point, right? It, they're they're going to walk through it and, and no, you know, wh whatever. Uh, but I do a quick. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> spoilers for a, an adventure that. You know, first came out 20, 30 years ago. No more. 
Um, but but a lot of people are running for the first time in the next yeah, <laughs> sure. so absolutely yeah and, it, and it's being republished and yeah yeah i know um uh, but so i so i went into the dnd beyond homebrew uh search and i found other people's takes on like you know alpha werewolves and that kind of stuff and i'm like okay i'm gonna steal that one or i'm gonna steal that one and that's gonna be that character and um and so that was that you know that was great. It was just it was very little interaction with the community, but they were creating something, and it's useful in my game. And I don't know if it's balanced because I don't care. It's my own campaign, so, so whether they make something that's completely unbalanced or not, it, whatever. Um, I also use it a lot because like I I have a bunch of uh, Cobalt Press um, stuff that I like to use, but you can't buy Cobalt Press stuff on D and Beyond. But I can go into the homebrew section and add all those monsters I want to use. And I also found that a lot of those sections you can just sort of copy and paste into their appropriate fields, and you yeah. don't have to do much else, I, and it works. Um, so. I use that for my home Midgar game. the The other thing I, I use D and Beyond for on doing homebrew, even without using their homebrew tools per se, is if I want to do like a subclass or or something like that. I will start with go to the class list listing on the page, find a subclass, copy, paste it on a notepad, remove all the the bits, but I know what level everything is supposed to be at. Mm-hmm. And it just simplifies the process. Well, I think that's one of the, I mean, we haven't really gotten into the tips and tricks of how to homebrew yet, but um, I think that's one of the the key things to consider is that when you're, creating something for your game you don't have to like do it from scratch and in fact many times it's you probably shouldn't right find something that's close but it's not quite getting where you want it to go and then just take it and change it into so that it is getting where you oh yeah right that's i mean the easiest um, thing is reskinning right it's not even changing any of the stats or anything being like i do that all the time for my players of like okay I want this monster, but this monster is a CR2. My players are level 15. So let me find an appropriate CR with the powers that kind of work for this monster or that maybe I'll change like one or two things, but all the all the math is worked out to be the CR I need. But I'm just going to show them the picture of this CR2 monster or I'm going to use this monster. We're going to show them a picture of, you know, some other thing I found. And and that right there is homebrew. It's it's as simple as that. And then you just it's just how much more in depth do you need or want to go from there? A good example of, of, of reskinning. Uh, I've I've it, I may have done something similar to this once. Um not letting any of my players know, but uh, <laughs> take a beholder, take uh, then rename all its powers and make it an archmage. The only thing that makes it right. a beholder is the image of what the beholder is. If you change the names on everything, these are just powers that the archmage are throwing at you, and it makes it scary. Right. And but it's unknown until you show up and encounter it that. You know, it's throwing all these powers around, and they're like, "What's going on?" It makes it surprising. It makes them scary, and you don't really have to do much. You just change the names and things. So I think it's worth noting, and and we've kind of alluded to it pretty strongly that that homebrew can cover a lot of things, right? You could be you could be tweaking a monster or a, a magic item or whatever, um, but you could also be you know increase a little bit in in, um, in complexity by making your own feats or your own spells or whatever, and you can go up to your own subclasses, your own 
entire classes, your own adventures, your own settings, right? And you can sort of, and I don't know where the, I lost the scale at some point. I don't know where the scale of complexity is. I don't know if, uh, to me, making an homebrewing an adventure is easier, is less complex than homebrewing a class because there's all kinds of balance issues and sure. moving parts they consider in a class. You know, I I whole, wholeheartedly agree with you, but when you think about it objectively, a, a subclass or a class is just one little piece, whereas homebrewing an entire campaign or a world sounds like such a giant undertaking. That oh, it is, sounds huge, yeah. But I think all of us as DMs have done bits of homebrewing for a world before, either on the fly right. or have run a homebrew campaign or whatever. And I think as DMs, we're just, that's what we're trained to do, right? At least on the fly is homebrew right. the world on the fly. And then you might extend that out to here is my homebrew campaign or even bigger, my homebrew world in a homebrew campaign. We're kind of right. trained that that's the thing we do. And so that doesn't seem as daunting as here, make this one player's subclass balanced and they're going to play it for the rest of the campaign. That sounds ridiculous but that's really only one small subset i I would set the the top end scale of difficulty creating a system like sure uh, like a new research system or a new you know between game action system or something like that that's probably the hardest um taking an adventure uh the easiest is taking an existing adventure and just moving it into a different setting like sure instead of you know, Waterdeep, this is in some other city in this other setting that you want to use. That's probably I, I, I almost ran Dragon Heist in Sharn. Yeah. Instead, yeah. You know. But that's still fascinating that, like, we'll immediately gravitate towards homebrewing the things that seem like they're the most expansive. Well, and yeah, I think, and I think you're right. A, a campaign, an adventure, a setting—these are big, expansive projects. But at least in my mind, like the consequences of screwing it up are really low, which is worth noting generally. Like, if I screw up a class and a player is playing it, and I've made it too powerful and it's broken and it's ruining the fun of the game, that's a lot harder to walk back because that player likes doing it, right? And they like the fact that it's broken. Uh, whereas if I mess up something in a, in a setting, um, then I just change the setting a little bit, you know, or I, you know, if, or even if I have to go so far as to retcon it, like players accept that a little bit more than, than if I take away their, their fun toys for the class they've been playing, you know? So, sure. so that's why that's, I guess, complexity is, it's not about complexity. It's about my, my own personal anxiety mm. on these different tasks. That's <laughs> so. fair. I also think it's different kind of problems. Like, one is a system problem, which seems more daunting than just coming up with a story. Mm. Like coming That's up with true. a story, we're all used to telling stories. Uh, you know, we, we've all shared our, our favorite story of something that's happened or they tell talk about a TV show we've liked or something like that. Telling stories is something humans just do. Uh, coming up with systems or and classes and feats and things like that sort of ties into that feels more daunting because Mm. it's not telling a story. It's okay. I got to figure out how this system works. Right. That's true. And once again, doing it for your home game, uh, 
offline, not streamed, not published, just you and your friends having fun is way less daunting than, oh, I'm going to take this adventure that I just homebrewed, that I just ran, and now write that all out and publish it. I think mm. you you come back to that, well, now I have to come up with something that at least reads on paper as cohesive and balanced when a lot of this was just stuff I was making up off the top of my head. So yeah, I, there's that line again. And that happens a lot. Uh, you oh, know, yeah. When people go through that process, they homebrew something. And, and even when it is streamed, like there's a degree to which if I'm streaming something, like I don't care as much about balance, right? And if somebody comes at me, that's not balance. I'm like, yeah, but that's okay. It's my campaign. I'm not trying to sell it to you. <laughs> so um, uh, somebody, uh, I think it was Craft Imaginatious, I'm going to say is how you pronounce that, uh, mentioned earlier on in the in the chat that, you know, the what it was the Blood Hunter class that mm. Matt Mercer published was basically just a homebrew uh, class that he made for for was it Vin Diesel or whatever right and and then he published it right and and, and arguably all of the stuff that Matt Mercer did in Critical Role was homebrewed. Uh, if you look, if, I, I noticed it particularly in um, in season one, mostly because I haven't listened to very much of season two yet, uh, but but if you if you you know, in season one, there's all the, the 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 vestiges of divergence. There's all these magic items and all these other things going on, and and he had or people had sort of backwards engineered sort of what the stats were and whatever and how they worked. But then when he published the Taldore book, they didn't work that way there's a reason for that because he wasn't as worried about balance and making it work for everybody's game and, with, and perfectly within the system. He was doing something fun in his own game and, and that was okay. Um, you know, you don't want to have it so unbalanced that it doesn't work, right? That it breaks the game and, and ruins somebody's fun. Um, but yeah, so this, you know, that's the process. <laughs> uh, the, and, and it's a matter of intentionality. Yeah. And, and it does get a little interesting there because... So on one hand, one of the reasons why people buy things off is because they're looking for a balance. On the other hand, those sorts of assumptions that we have built into what it means to have a published adventure or a published class or something like that sometimes means that they can't push the envelope. And pushing the envelope is one of the things we often want when we homebrew. So right. it gets... It gets kind of interesting because it would be nice if we could have like, hey, this is just on balance. Deal with it. You still bought it. Feel free to use it or not if your DM allows it uh, sort of thing. might be cool because then we could have more of this sharing kind of what's already happening anyway through D&D Beyond where you just pull stuff off from that people have created and shared out. We know it might not be balanced. It would be nice if we could extend that out to um, what we consider published stuff or non hungry sure. Yeah, no, and and I and and I and I don't know. In my experience, anyway, the when I decide to homebrew something, most of the time, because I'm not interested in publishing content at this point. Um, when I decide to to homebrew stuff, it's because there is a narrative need in my story, and what exists isn't quite doing it right. Um, you know, uh, there was a, a moment way back in 4th edition. I can't remember if Jeremiah used to be in my campaign back in, in the 4th edition days. Uh, and I can't remember if he was around when I had done this. But there was a moment when I needed a I needed to make be able to make somebody a chosen of, of I don't remember if it was Mr. or something else, right? 
yeah. but there's no there's no way in the system to do that or or published way in the system to do that. So so I made a way, right? I, I made a thing and a, or a template to sort of lay on top of it. And did it make the person more powerful than they otherwise would have been? Absolutely. That's kind of the point, right? Um, but I needed to be able to do a thing and, and nothing else sort of did that thing. Um, you know. Yeah. I, I think one of the more common subtle homebrews that I've seen lots of people do, and they just don't think about it as homebrewing, is changing the stats on monsters. Um, yep. I, I have pretty much accepted that the hit points as written on the stat blocks is not enough for most of the encounters I have run. Uh, and I have to increase them to the max that they can start with or give them a, a block bonus of 50% more health or something. Cause otherwise, Oh, it's dead in the first round. Okay. Well, well that wasn't right. That's not even technically homebrewing because the rules tell you to do that. Yeah. Like that, that number is an average. <laughs> so that's why there's, there's a range after that in parentheses. Right. So. But, I mean, but that's step one, right? That's, that's the, right. the first step into the larger world of homebrewing, right? Yeah. And it is. feeling empowered, even if you're doing something within the rules, that moment, I, I would argue it is still homebrewing, even if it is, mm-hmm. you know, encouraged by the rules, homebrewing. Come join us. Yes. <laughs> and and uh, craft imaginationists, no, you're not the only one that experiences that problem. That There are a lot of people who have, have, have mentioned it. Uh, and part of that is, uh, I think a lot of the stats are written for Adventures League play, mm-hmm. which limits what you can start with in ways that maybe a... You know, if everybody's rolling stats or uh, a generous DM is giving lots of points for their things or, you know, maybe give them a free feed or something like that, they can they will have a higher output of capability than maybe an Adventurers League character can because they got more limits on them. So if the those monsters are possibly particularly challenging, if you're using standard array and limiting the options to uh PHP plus one or something like that. Uh, whereas, you know, I can pull from third party uh, publishers, homebrew stuff, st- things like that. And I toss them all into my game. My players might be more powerful than what the monster was written to deal with. It's, it's also super uh, dependent on party makeup too. I mean, if your party just happens to be more role play focused or more support focused within each other, um, they might not, they may still be super effective at battle. They just may not have the same damage output as a party that's got a battle master fighter and a raging barbarian at their front lines who happen to have advantage on a bunch of stuff. And so they crit more often like, it's it's that's another thing where we all just end up homebrewing depending on the the party makeup of the group that we have i've my high level campaign my podcast they're up to level 16 my barbarian crits on something they better have way more than 100 hit points even at the start because the damage output that he can he can drop and he's got a magic sword but it's nothing super powerful i i really haven't homebrewed a ton of stuff for him that's just how barbarians work that's their joy and so it's it's um deciding on how to craft those those bits of homebrew or those changes i'm going to make to monsters to let him still feel powerful and be effective and slaughter things without 
everything dying in the first round and it not being a challenge. So yeah, no, I think one of the first things I started regularly homebrewing in fifth edition was monsters, uh, and particularly, um, particularly like the boss monsters. Yeah, uh, I found that fifth edition doesn't give me boss monsters that were bossy enough. Uh, you know, to, to to really do what I wanted them to do, uh, and it was actually uh, in a behind the DM screen conversation with uh, uh, Mike Shea and and Sam Dillon uh, when I was running out of the abyss. I'm like, the demon lords aren't badass enough. Like, what do I do? Right? And they gave me some some good ideas, and some of it was just like, you've got a range of hit points. Give them more. Go to the max or whatever. But some of it was also like if they've got a multi-attack ability that allows them to do you know, two tentacle attacks and a bite or whatever, allow that to basically be three actions and use it to cast multiple spells in a round or, or hit something and cast, a, cast spells and, and do this to tweak their damage output to, to make it you know, more of a threat. And, and I did all of the things and it worked brilliantly. Suddenly the the – the monsters, the the big bads were were big and bad, and and it worked really well. Yeah, another thing is uh, published encounters. Don't be afraid to like oh you you've only got uh, the single boss monsters that they're going after. Give them minions. The, if the PCs have to spread out their attacks, they are less likely to you know round one kill the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Well, and arguably, um, you know, every time you are running a published adventure and you change something, that's homebrewing too, yep. right? Uh, and and I would argue that most of the published Watsy adventures run better if you do change things. Uh, so there's Taylor for your I, players. I, yeah, yeah. I, I, well, even. I don't know that I would pick up any of them and just run them off the shelf as is. Um, there, some because I want to tailor it for my players, and some because like there's some places where the narrative doesn't quite flow like I want it to, and that's maybe just my preference as a DM or whatever. Um, but make those changes, homebrew it, right? Yeah, and I think the whole point I, all of us are are hitting on is homebrew is not scary. Everybody does it. You shouldn't be bothered by it. So I got to ask, because a lot of what we've talked about is the the obvious homebrew. It's the homebrew for uh, in service of a thing that we are doing. We're homebrewing a monster. We're homebrewing a setting. We're homebrewing. We, we're homebrewing because we have to, because we want to do something that we uh, need to do. Have you had the other experience of just, I'm making something f- because I'm inspired. I'm making something for the fun of it. I'm making something because uh, this thing looked cool and now I want to make a version of it. Uh, there was definitely a time in my life when I did a lot of that. Um, and then I became a teacher and then I went to grad school and I'm a parent and all of the time for that f- for fun went away. So yeah. You've broken him. That's what Aww. I meant. Oh, oh. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I, I certainly have been known to do that uh, for my blog. Um, like I wrote up a couple of Gravedigger and inspired things. I haven't played them. I have I don't have any of my players playing them. But I think Gravedigger is a cool icon. I've played one at a LARP. So I was just like, I want to make Gravedigger stuff for D&D. So I wrote it up and put it up because I thought it's cool and I wanted to share it. You know, I don't expect anybody would go for it, but I thought it was cool. How about you, Tracy? Yeah, I mean, 
So I jumped in, I started playing about 10 years ago. I jumped right into DMing and created my own world because I wanted to, which kind of is in between. I, I also had, like, nothing spoke to me, so I created it, which I'm not sure exactly if that meant, matches the thing. The other thing I'm thinking of is that a lot of the stuff where I did a lot of fun, interesting things was actually for publication. Hmm. But it, I was part of, when I when we did the Lost City, we did a lot of that sort of, like, wouldn't it be cool if, and we just kind of built off of stuff. And that was a, a lot of fun, but I know that's not home because well and you you used to well and you used to make stuff uh homebrew stuff and just sort of experimentally i wonder how this would work to publish on your blog uh, as well so. yeah it's been a little while only because uh last few years have been kind of busy but uh but you know i i love doing that sort of stuff and that's why i i don't think i've ever for my home game ran a published adventure i've only really done that when i ran at uh conventions so the reason I ask is because that's partially why when you asked what do you want to talk about, I said homebrew was that's kind of become a thing I've started to do a lot of actually is just be inspired by silly conversations on Discord, on the internet, on Twitter, on you know wherever I am. And I've for the first time ever in the last couple of months just been making stuff and putting it on D&D Beyond and making it public and going here here's a here's a fun thing and most of them are kind of silly fun things um usable uh workable in a game I try to balance it a little bit um but not anything that's come out of my games that I'm running my games that I'm in uh they don't come from a need of oh I wish this thing was Mm -hmm. was there it literally was Fuzzy socks. Everyone likes fuzzy socks. I'm going to make a pair of magic fuzzy socks. What would that be like? There you go. Fuzzy socks. Yeah. <laughs> and so now there's a, I have a homebrew fuzzy socks. And it's been interesting to go through that process with uh, magic items or spells because those are fairly, I'm not going to say easy, but in, in relation to um, even to monsters or especially to a subclass, way easier to just kind of uh, essentially just type up and be done. I mean, I have, I have a whole bunch of magic items that don't require any stats, that they just do role-playing things. And so you don't even have right. to worry about numbers. And there's something very freeing about having that conversation. You know, oh, I love the alchemy jug. It's one of my favorite magic items in in all of D&D. And, you know, I, I've homebrewed my uh, dungeon drunks to that their alchemy jug makes some other things but then right. in a conversation it was like well what if it made solid things well it's a jug so it doesn't make anything solid so you'd have to have a box okay so it's an alchemy box <laughs> well what does the alchemy box make well of course it only makes solids well what kind of solids you know and then going down that weird path of does it make fuzzy socks it does not make fuzzy socks um, oh. w- would you like to know what the alchemy uh, box makes Step sure. one, get a box. Get step one, get a box. It is a small wooden box, uh, six inches by six inches. Uh, always weighs twelve pounds, so it's very related to the alchemy jug. Uh, it makes cheese, wax, soap, butter, glass, rubber, chocolate, clay, yarn, and salt. Because Fred says it should make pizza. 
I, you know, <laughs> we thought about a whole bunch of stuff. And I was talking about this on the Discord. We, the inspiration was the alchemy jug. And the decision was you want basics, you know, with, with only a couple right. of fun things. Like, of course, there's mayonnaise in the, in the alchemy jug, which is fun, which is why the, the box can do things like chocolate. But at its core, what makes it a useful magic item, as much as I love to use the alchemy jug for mayonnaise, what makes it useful is that it's, it's uh, a bunch of basic things that you can use in other things. And so making these basic solids and that was it. That's that's. I have yet to actually use this item anywhere. I've not given it to my players. I've published right. it on D and D Beyond. It's like there you go, homebrew. And it's a it's, it's, it's a little fun. bit like yeah, it's a little bit like you know how players uh, will get bored and have ideas and just make character after character after character after character. That's what you're doing, but for DMs. Sure. <laughs> or players. I mean, you always sure. as a player have got to have that moment of asking your DM if it's okay to bring a homebrew to the table and, you know, going through that. But yeah, like, you know, just having that that fun moment of inspiration and creating something and especially for low level magic items, uh, low level spells, um, things that even at their most powerful could not break your game, I find immensely fun to create. Mm-hmm. To this day, Absolutely. my favorite magic item is uh, the immovable rod. It's a good. Uh, it's a good magic item. Yeah. It it is a it is an item that asks you to be imaginative to make it useful, and mm-hmm. and I think anytime somebody comes up with a cool lower end magic item that just requires you to be imaginative in how you use it. Is it that is that is the sweet spot that is that is the special sauce as far as I'm concerned for D and D. It's like uh, prestidigitation and um, thaumaturgy for spells. Yeah. Why yeah. are those such popular, awesome spells? Because of the n- neither of those are incredibly powerful unless your imagination can get you there. And if your imagination can get you there, you're usually doing something so outlandish or awesome that your DM is going to let you try. So yeah, those are it. I mean, it's great to drop a power word kill, but I I would much rather see some imaginative use of, like you're saying, those low level stuff. And it's super fun to make. They're just oh yeah. It's ridiculous fun to just sit in a in a chat room and be like, "All right, so I'm gonna make a a cheese plate. I'm gonna make a magic cheese plate. Here we go." <laughs> I said I was gonna bring all the snacks, so there you go. <laughs> and that I've when we've then talked to people who have created their own homebrew for publication, whether it's they're just getting into uh, crafting adventures or crafting subclasses or whatever they're crafting. Um, going through that process of just making for the fun of it, I think is really useful. And it then inspired me to do a lot of what, uh, Jeremiah, you were talking about earlier about going in and seeing, um, looking at the subclass and seeing what's the pattern here. What's the, all right, I'm going to make a cleric subclass. So at what levels do they get what? Uh, where do they get these normal things? What's the kind of the patterns that people are used to so that I can create something that's in the the framework that people are are going to recognize as, oh, this is a cleric subclass. And then then go from there because that's so much easier to do than just like, here's a blank piece of paper, go. And being able to dig into, 
all right, I want to make a, a magic wand. Well, let me see what some of the other magic wands do. Well, I want to make a, a suit of armor. I want to, whatever you want to make. Yeah. Going back and seeing the mechanics behind the others really helps. Yeah, when when I think that's the biggest piece of advice I have in terms of crafting mechanical uh, bits uh, for the game, right? Or, or homebrewing mechanical bits for the game is takes things that exist and then change and tweak and build from there. Uh, the other the other thing, at least this is me personally, because there's still. Uh, a 12 year old inside of me that just wants to make things awesome all the time. Uh, so, so I have to rein myself in a little bit. And so I, when in doubt, my, my mantra is err on the side of a little bit underpowered because it's almost always actually overpowered <laughs> the way, because I've got that 12 year old who just wants to be awesome. Interesting. I, 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 when I was creating a subclass, um, one of the, the things that I read was to go ahead and make it more powerful than you think, or go ahead mm. and let it be OP because it's actually easier to scale back than to make more powerful. Um, and at least from, I've only done it once for me, that was, that ended up being true. It was way easier to kind of scale back and rein in and uh, adjust a couple of numbers and keep the flavor. Whereas if I had gone with the, no, 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 rein this back and, and dampen this down, you can kind of lose some of that flavor. But I think, I think that also depends on where you're coming from. If your inner 12 year old is making things more excited and you're making everything, you know, D12s and uh, all right, go, go, go ridiculous with it. Um, then yeah, maybe at that point you have to think about scaling. Well, and it comes down to intention again too. Like if I'm doing it for my own game, um, there's a reason this player wants me to make this thing for them, wants me to make this subclass, wants me to create this race. They want to do a thing, right? So as long as I'm allowing them to do the thing, if it's a little bit underpowered and I recognize that and then I give them a little bit of a boost later on, they're not going to be mad at me. Mm. But if but but if I make it overpowered, there's no way I'm going to pull it back uh, at that point because I don't want to take away their toys that they're having fun with, you know? So... I, I will go more overpowered if it's just for my home game. Um, if I know what, what the player's shooting for, I don't mind giving them something a little broken. Um, because I I also control all the levers on the monsters. Right. So if it becomes too broken for what is, you know, normally they're going to run into, I can just crank up the... The damage output, I can crank up the hit points, I can throw more monsters in to make it just as challenging. So it doesn't matter how broken the thing I gave them was. Uh, I, I control all of that. Um, it, the only time I really worry about whether or not something is too broken is if I intend it for other people to play with. That's the only time I actually care about it because I don't want to do that to somebody else who hasn't sort of internalized that they they control all those levers and they may feel trapped by something that they're using. It's like, well, I, I don't know what to do. And, you know, I, I can't be standing there next to them. Well, you can just do this, this, and this, and it's fine. Um, so I, that's, that's the only time I really care about if it's broken. If it's for my home game, I don't care. Here, have something broken. Well, and certainly I will give th broken things to my players in my home game quite quite regularly, but I want to be intentional about it. Like I don't want to be surprised when I break the game. I want to be like, okay, I'm giving you this thing and I know it's unbalanced, 
but I'm prepared for that because I know it's unbalanced. Whereas if I homebrew something, I'd rather it be underpowered, uh, like a, like a class or whatever for them, because they just wanted to play a thing. Um, then I'd rather go underpowered because I don't want to be surprised when it breaks the game. <laughs> so, but you know, we've all got different needs, right? Yeah, uh, and so that's fine. And so yeah, it's yeah, it's also different. Once again, if you're a player coming to a campaign wanting to use a homebrew thing, um, that can you have to do some negotiations. You have to be mm. prepared for your DM to say no, even if the thing that you want to bring to the game is clearly not overpowered because you don't know what in the world and what in the story that thing that you want to bring to the game is is going to, what problems it might cause. But I would say be be super okay with coming to the table and having the DM say no, um, not just because, yeah, okay, they'll say no and you can't use the thing, but now you've, you've given them a hint about things that you want. And that is always valuable later on. You know, if I say no to my players about something that they want to do that's outside of the, the regular rules, um, if, they're, if they're excited about it and they're like, oh, hey, look at this thing, look at this thing. Well, okay, maybe it's not good now, but maybe that thing is going to appear in your loot cache in a level or two, or maybe I will now homebrew my own version of that thing that just gets rid of the thing that I said no to, you know? So having right. those kind of homebrew on homebrew moments <laughs> in where, right. you know, the, a player has brought me this awesome thing that they discovered out in the woods. And I'm like, no, but <laughs> right. <laughs> no, yeah, but no, hang tight. <laughs> I, I'm all, as a DM, I'm always a little bit wary when my players come to me with like, Hey, I found this homebrew magic item. Can we go, can we do the research thing? We got some downtime and see if we can find it. And I'm like, no, like that's not a thing you can find because it doesn't exist in the world because players don't care about balance. They want to do they're, they're They're my inner 12 year old. They want to do awesome stuff and be badass at everything. Uh, and, and I get it. I yeah. get it. Um, but Doing that does definitely give me a oh you're you're a bard who's interested in this sort of a magic a, a bardic sort of instrument magic item that allows you to do multiple sort of spell like abilities. I can work with that, mm -hmm. you know. And I think I think a good player, um, it, you know, and there's a ton of you out there. If you do have those magic items that you, or that homebrew stuff that you want to bring, go ahead and be excited about them. Just be okay with us saying no it's it's fine or, or, it's awesome. or a negotiation of like well that's fine we can look for that but here's the tweaks i'm going to make it's not going to work exactly the way you want it do you are you still interested in it now exactly uh you know so i i yes. would actually offer on the opposite end Ooh. <laughs> dms please look for ways to say yes I agree with that. I don't think that's the opposite. I'm just. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm coming at it from a different direction. You're saying to the players, be prepared for them to say, you know, no, but from the DM side, be try and find ways to say yes. You even know? if it's a yes, but. Yeah, even if it's a yes, but <laughs> try and find ways. You know, if, if somebody says, I want to play, come, come to you and says, I want to play like uh, a, an alien from another world and you haven't done anything with that. Okay, stop, think, is there a way you can make this cool, work in your game world? Try and find a way to say yes. Um, 
I mean, sometimes it doesn't work. Uh, for one, you know, there are some things that might violate some people's comfort level. You know, there's some things I've seen out in, in, in homebrew world that, yeah, I probably wouldn't let in my game because I don't want to deal with some of the subject matter it brings up. But if you can, try and find a way to say yes. Sure. I hear this come up a lot in uh, in these kinds of conversations too. Like, I think it was Chris Briskins, but I'm not sure. For sh- like, not for sure. But that difference between a kid and an adult, going back to your 12-year-old a little bit, uh, Jeff, uh, he would bring up that I think they had found out at some point they could change from a D6 to a different size die when they rolled their stats and started using, I think it was like D10s or something like that. And they were totally cool with it, totally broke the game, but they were totally happy. Uh, so sometimes it's not a problem, depending on what you guys are all, what people at the table are looking for from the game. And like, don't always be afraid of, you know, maybe going back to that childhood a little bit. Right. Maybe not for a, a campaign that's going to last five years. Maybe that's when you start seeing the problems come up. But if it's something shorter, uh, for sure, why not mm-hmm. experiment and have fun? Yep. No, absolutely. When I, when I ran for uh, my middle school groups, um, that was my, I, I leaned really heavily on the, the say yes to everything. And if they're overpowered or whatever, like I, I don't care. Cause they're having, you know, I know for a fact, some of them were cheating, but that's fine. You know? <laughs> Cause they were having a blast and they, and, 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 you know, part of the goal of the, it was an after school club. And part of the goal was like, introduce them to the game and I want them to be hooked for the rest of their lives. So let them be overpowered superheroes in the world of D and D that's okay. Like that's, that meets those goals. They're always going to remember that and they're going to be super excited to play in the future. The other thing that you can always do, especially if you have your own homebrew or a player comes to you with homebrew or, you know, someone wants to try something, take a break from the campaign and run a one shot. Or, or run a, a mini little, you know, here we're going to do two or three games and, uh, you know, do a play test, essentially. See what it feels like. Because um, I also do think most players, yeah, they want to feel powerful. They want to feel um, heroic. They want to be able to to dominate and, and be awesome. But I think also most players know that if, if they are overpowered in relation to the rest of the players, after a little bit, you can kind of feel that. And that can be... a that can be uncomfortable. And I think most reasonable players at that point, when they're trying out some homebrew, they're like, all right, this thing was awesome, but it is a little OP and they'll come to that realization, but they'll still be able to have that moment. And sometimes you'll only know whether something is too overpowered or underpowered when you actually give it a try. And so, you know, have, have a one shot day, have a a play test day and where you just play some silly, you know, two hour games, um, you know, go on to DMs guild or go on to D and D beyond and grab some of the encounters of the week, something you can run really easily that um, everybody's just going to do a buy-in and someone's going to use the, the weird magic item they got off of, you know, whatever website. And this person's going to run this, this homebrew subclass and, they're going to be an alien and here we go. Let's give this a try. And, and no one's going to be upset because this isn't your main campaign that uh, you've got all this time and effort into. And if things go South, at least it'll be fun. Right. So uh, that's, I literally have one of my regular games is basically a play test game. It's a bunch of us. And we just, we rotate DMS and we just try stuff out. And some of it is stuff that some of us are preparing to publish. And some of it is stuff that some of us have just, come up with and we want to try and some people mm-hmm. are running homebrew uh, adventures and some people 
it's it's kind of a hodgepodge of we want to just try this in a in a place with a bunch of people that we know will try anything. So get, give that a try one week with your gaming group. It's it's super fun. And in addition to like uh, the taking a break and, and doing something different you can do like uh dreamscapes can can work well with some of the stuff particularly if it feels out of overpowered uh and also uh like cut scenes or just scenes that are happening outside the main party uh because you never know maybe somebody accidentally spilled that that of do not spill liquid on stuff and now everything's walkie right and now you get to homebrew the vat of liquid Ooh. <laughs> mm. nice so we've we've had a I feel like most of our sort of conversation tips and tricks about all that kind of stuff has dealt with the very sort of crunchy mechanical bits of homebrewing monsters and magic items and all that kind of stuff. And that's, that's awesome. And that's really important. There's also an element of homebrew where we get, we could spend a whole other episode and maybe we'll have to come back in a month or so and do this, but we could spend a whole episode talking about how do you do the homebrew for the story idea, for the adventure, for the setting, uh, which is a, a, a very different in many ways process. Um, but we've already been talking for like an hour. <laughs> so I don't know that we want to take on that big of a topic now. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's time for sort of the, the, the last, last thoughts, uh, last tips, last uh, bits of advice. Who, does anybody have any sort of last thoughts before we sort of wrap things up? Can Can I ask a everybody a question as their last thoughts? You can do sure. whatever you want. So, because you are all uh, proficient homebrewers of a variety of of options, and so I was going to ask what your favorite thing that you have homebrewed is and why. I'll go first. I'll give you a chance to, since, since I've prompted, I'll go first. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not going to talk about any of my homebrew campaigns or worlds since we're kind of, we were talking about the crunch. So I will mm-hmm. mention the crunch. I did homebrew a subclass uh, for a cleric. It's the Phoenix subclass that was inspired by the character that I'm playing on, on the D&D Beyond show. And the reason I like it so much is because I feel like... Um, I had a chance with a couple, I, I have a, a couple of friends that I, I paid for editors and I went through the whole process of like, I'm going to make this a balanced subclass and I'm going to put this out there as something that actually works. But what I'm proud about is I feel like the flavor of that subclass is very apparent, whether or not you want to play it or you are inspired to play it or you think that it's balanced or not, everyone kind of rocks on to what that subclass is all about immediately and I'm I'm quite proud of that. I would I would have a hard time picking one because uh, I've got a lot of stuff. I think I'll avoid actually the ones I've published for money and actually go with you know I the one I'm I'm particularly fond of right now it's 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 either I came up with a wizard subclass that may or may not turn into something print later, but I put it, I put it on my blog that was uh, the Vitomancer. So it uh, it's a wizard that heals, and he refreshes his healing pool by casting Necromancy. Ooh. So he casts a necromantic spell. He gets uh, a certain number of, of healing points, uh, that he can spend until you know he goes to a, a short rest, and then he can build up his pool again by casting another necromatic spell. 
And so it was a, I, I, I had fun coming up with the idea. Uh, I've always kind of liked the notion of the wizard that can heal. That's more from a LARPing side of things. They're more common there. Uh, and people were like, oh, wizards can't heal. And I was like, I, could, I bet you I can make a good wizard that heals. And so I, I'm, I'm particularly fond of that one. The other one is I came up with a, a different version of humans so that they were less built on being sort of generic and actually had a, a strong story driving their stats. Hmm. Uh, and I, I, uh, I, I, I did that for a homebrew world I was working on. So. And at that point you're building a world too. Yeah. yeah, so. yeah. I was, I was thinking about a lot of things and then, and then Lauren mentioned that we're going to go more crunchy cause that's what most of our conversation has been about. Uh, and so I'm also going to go with something a little more recent for my curse of Strahd game. Um, I homebrewed the sun sword into a completely, well, not completely different thing, but, a, but a different thing. Um, I had some players asking me if I was familiar with the, the idea in the, there's a, a, DMs Guild, popular DMs Guild product about like legacy weapons or whatever, where you can, as you level up, you can sort of pump more powers into your weapons and, and what, have, what have you. Uh, and this is not a new concept in D&D, the idea that sort of your items level with you. And, not, and, so I, and I didn't want to introduce a whole new system, but I grabbed the idea and said, okay, well, let's take the Sun Sword. And I tied it to a character's background. It was actually this ASMR character's mother who was a, a, a celestial of, of Lathander, right? Uh, so it was her celestial blade. And it was obvious when he got it, he, he inherited it, that it was, it was a magical blade. But the hilt and the blade were clearly forged at different times. And, and after it went through a, a couple of level ups, so at, at particularly good sort of uh, narrative points, big milestone sort of moments for, for the character, uh, eventually he, he uses it to attack something important and like the blade shatters, and then the the sun sword blade appears underneath, and and that's probably been the, my favorite homebrew uh, of recent times. Uh, directly tied to the the setting, directly tied to the story, directly tied to that character, and some players who had some interest in some mechanical things kind of got to get a taste of that as well. So, I'm having a hard time answering because, like, the thing I most want to talk about is something that actually did get was made for publishing, uh, but obviously when I designed it, it was before it was published and before it was edited and all that other stuff. I say go uh, for it. If it's the thing you're most proud of, just because it got published doesn't mean it wasn't something <laughs> homebrew at some point. Yeah. Well, and it was, so it was for Lost City. Um, we, I, this is 4E. So I, there was a lot of talk in the community about the fact that um, with a lot of 4E stuff, uh, if you had a big bad, it would just get locked down and like, it just, quickly just didn't become very interesting and so I wanted to try to tackle this and I had in the area that I had designed over uh there was a lot about plants uh and there's this whole struggle between like the plants are neutral kind of basically and so like good or like you can how you treated them would it was part of like a big skill challenge but the monster I designed was a plant that when it got to the bloody part broke apart and then created these smaller ones that had half the hit points of the main one that could then attack you. So it would totally change the battlescape as you were playing. 
Now you can't stun lock one one big bad down because yep. now it's a whole bunch of big bads. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I and so going back Lauren, to what you were saying earlier about just trying to think through a design problem and like throw stuff at it. That was my attempt to throw something at it to see how it would go, and that's why I thought it would fit here. But it, yeah, technically published, <laughs> but still awesome. It was, yeah. it was homebrew when you came up with it. Yeah, exactly. It was. Absolutely, very good. Anybody else have any? I mean, Lauren sort of took the reins of our of our last thoughts. Uh, but if anybody else had any last thoughts that you just really wanted to get out but haven't had a chance to talk about yet, uh, this is your chance. There is a, an occasional thing that comes up on TikTok that I see um, where people will say homebrew is not D and D, and I've tried to fight this fight, so I'm going to do it here as well and say mm-hmm. no, no. Homebrew D and D is homebrew. Uh, well, it, it, like even if you're playing rules as written, yeah, rules as written is you're supposed to make up your own stuff. Well, <laughs> so. I mean, the game wouldn't exist without homebrew. The rules mm-hmm. that you're playing would not exist without homebrew. Everything about D and D is homebrew. Embrace that. Enjoy it. It's not scary. You're supposed to do it, and everybody will. You know, occasionally flub something. It's not scary. Have fun. Enjoy it. Right. It, it is a game of improv, and if you're improving, there is a degree to which you're always going to be homebrewing stuff. Yeah. Um, and 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 if people have their lines of I I don't want to accept homebrew magic items or classes or whatever, that's that's fine. I get that. Um, that's a, that's definitely a, a worthwhile way to play the game. I don't know that I would never say it's not D and D because. Like as you said, D and D was built on homebrew, right? Um, and and, it, and it's baked into the system that you're supposed to make stuff up. I mean, the the DMG has for fifth edition has like here's how to make your own races, um, you know. So so it's built on that idea. Um, saying that homebrew is not D and D ignores what D and D has always is and has always been, and and what it actually says about what it is as a game. Um, so yeah, so I'll. I'll I'll back you up in that fight. You let me know when the next rumble is and, and I'll have your back. I will actually get on TikTok for you to to, <laughs> to actually be like, yes, homebrew. Do all the homebrew. Have all the fun. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Any other last thoughts? Then I'm going to go ahead and call this the end of the episode. We'd like to say thank you to our guests. Lauren, where can folks find you? I am Lauren Urban. You can find me wherever D&D Beyond is sold. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter as Obolauren. That's usually the best way to, to find me. That's my main source of play and fun on the internet. And Jeremiah? Uh, I have a website, jeremiahmccoy.com, where you can find uh, lots of content I've written, some links to some stuff that you of mine that you can buy. I'm Tech Noir on Twitter, and I'm Basics of the Game on Twitch and on TikTok. Awesome. We'd also like to say thanks to all of you who support us by being patrons at patreon.com slash thetomeshow. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email thetomeshow at gmail.com. You can tweet Tracy. She is at Sarah Dark Magic. That's Sarah with an H. Uh, you can tweet me. I am at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H. And you can tweet the show, which is at the Tome Show. Although that's 
also run by me. So either way, you're getting me <laughs> on, on those last two. And that's episode 344, where we brewed up some new features and had fun doing it in this episode of... I'm on the wall.